So a couple weeks ago, we began this series entitled Becoming Who You Are. We're making our way through a New Testament letter called Ephesians. And this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He had spent two and a half years in the city of Ephesus. So he's writing to people that he knows, people that he cares about, people that he loves. And he is sitting in a Roman prison cell awaiting trial before Caesar. And he's writing to these people who now back in the city of Ephesus are going through a difficult time. And so he wants to encourage them, and out of the chute, what does he begin to communicate to them? He doesn't talk about, hey, you know what, yeah, you're facing some tough things here, you know, just look inside yourself and get yourself together and, you know, muster your willpower. Instead, he turns his direction toward God, and he begins by talking about Do you know who you are in a relationship with God, in Jesus, in Christ? And 10 times in this section at the beginning of this book, he talks about in him, in him, in him. And it's as if Paul can just not help himself by listing off the benefits that are there or that are available in a relationship with God, with Jesus. And I mentioned this at the beginning, and I think it bears repeating. It is the single longest sentence in all of the New Testament that begins in Ephesians 1, verse 3, and it goes all the way through verse 14. 257 words long. Don't ever try to pass that off in an English class. You will get a C minus at best. That is a run-on sentence, but Paul just cannot help himself. And so now today we're coming toward the end of that run-on sentence here, filled and loaded with so much that is profound and deep and meaningful to how we live life day by day. But let me begin with this picture here. This is Amy Elizabeth, and she was the subject of a story um, a couple months ago, and she lives in Las Vegas. She's worth over $5 million, but what made her famous is that they call her the cheapest millionaire in the world. And she has a lot of resources, but she lives very frugally, One example was she gets up every day and she doesn't have her water heater on the whole time. So she'll get up, she'll go down before she can take a shower, flip the water heater on, and then she times it. It takes exactly 17 minutes for the water to heat up. Then she'll take the shower, she'll go down, and then she'll turn it off again. Why spend money unnecessarily? And if you think that's a bit extreme, when it comes to food, she went even a step further. Because she invited some friends over one time and she opened this can. She actually grabbed the wrong one out of the uh, pantry there because this is cat food. And she served that up that night and she thought, this is pretty good and it's cheaper than tuna. And so now she serves cat food. And she says, this saves me from spending money unnecessarily. I think it also saves you from having friends unnecessarily because (laughs) I ain't coming for dinner, you know? Like, I'm good. I'm good. I'll eat before I get there. And here's why I start with this. Could it be that in Jesus, there's all these resources that are available, but maybe we're not fully living in that space? Saving money is good, but I think there's a way in which it goes a little too far. This is one of them. So what is available to us? How do we get in Jesus? What does it mean to live in that relationship? And then what are we holding on to? What is to come? 
And so let's read through this section. I'm going to read the whole thing first. And this is really packed tightly with words and phrases and meaning that we could unpack this for a long time. But today, I'm going to zero in on three words. I'm going to zero in on the word truth, the word hope, and the word glory. Check this out. In him, and there it is again, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. On and on, Paul has been going about what you have in a relationship with Jesus. Now he's coming down the home stretch here. And he talked about what God did. He talked about what Jesus has done. Now the Holy Spirit shows up and it really moves into the day-by-day life that followers of Jesus can experience. So what do we have in Christ? In Christ, I am, first, Paul tells us, trusting in truth. And you saw that word, let me put it up here again. In him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him. We live in a day, it's often referred to as postmodernism, where there's this trendy idea that says, hey, there's no absolute truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. You live your truth, I live my truth. But that whole mindset is actually beginning to diminish. And why is that? Because we've come to recognize that there are certain things that are true, whether or not people's opinions agree with them or not. And a real simple, you know, um, analogy of that is gravity, right? You can believe in gravity or not believe in gravity. Gravity exists whether you believe in it or not. And what Paul's telling us here is that there is something that is spiritually true and it is beyond people's opinions and ideas. It is something that is simply the truth. And what is that? It's found right next to it, the gospel of your salvation. And then what do we do? And when we had believed in him. A couple important words for us to understand. What does gospel mean? It's an old English word that actually means the announcement of good news. And one of the ancient understandings of where that came from, there was a battle in Greece on the plains of Marathon. And the Greeks won a big battle against the Persians and one of their runners, uh, a communicator, was going to run back to Athens and announce that the victory had been won. And that's even where we get our marathon from because he ran 26 miles, announced the victory, and this is true, fell over dead. And the marathon's been doing that to people ever since. Um, But it is the announcement of good news. Now, what do we do with news? We don't achieve news, right? This was a messenger who just came and announced, this is what has been accomplished. This is what has been done. This is an event that has just been taken place. And what do we do with news? We receive news. We don't achieve news. We can receive it and we can believe it. And so as we talk about a relationship of being in Jesus, where does it begin? It doesn't begin by something that we do. It begins by hearing about something that has been done. And then we place our belief in that. 
So even a relationship with God is not initiated by something that we accomplish, something that we achieve. It is the announcement of something that has been done. In another letter that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians, he tells us exactly what the gospel is. He says that Jesus lived just as the scriptures predicted he would. And then he died a sacrificial death on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead. And so what is that telling us? That the centerpiece of faith in God is not just ideas, it's not philosophy, it's not religious sort of um, an understanding. It is an event that actually happened in time and space. And the gospel is the announcement of something that has been done. It's not something that we do. And then what is it that people do that you had believed? To believe is to trust, or another way to say it is to place the full weight of our trust in something. And let me illustrate it in a real simple way here. So I've got this um, stool, and if this represents just knowing about God and who God is and what God invites us into, I can be aware of that and know that it exists and know that it's there. And that's awareness, but that's not what Paul's talking about here with belief. And maybe I can kind of lean into it a little bit and really be on board with that and believe it's a good thing, it's a positive thing, it's a beneficial thing. That's not yet belief. But what it means, the way that Paul's presenting it here, is that I put the full weight of my trust in what has been announced that has been done by someone on my behalf. It is the announcement of God's victory in this world to come and to rescue, to redeem people and bring them into a relationship with himself. And so Paul says this is a truth and it's tied to an event. And here's where I think sometimes if you're wrestling with the whole idea of faith and Christianity and all of that, I fear that sometimes this is how people engage it. We kind of know that this is there, but we engage on the level of ethics. Well, there are certain behaviors about, you know, Christianity and the Bible that, that kind of concern me, you know, things about sexuality and, and gender that seem so outdated in this day. And we come and we engage the ethics and say, I don't think I want to believe that. Paul's telling us, you know what, you're certainly entitled to engage things on the level of ethics, but the centerpiece of what faith is, is an event. And if the event is true, and the event is a matter of history, then we need to embrace all the other things that come along with it. And at the center of all of that, and what is claimed to be true, is Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And so if you're wondering, what is it to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to believe? It means to put the full weight of our trust in what God has done to open the doors to a relationship with him. In Christ, I'm trusting in truth, something that is beyond opinion and something that is a matter of historical fact, an event. In Christ also, I am not just trusting in truth, I'm living with hope. 
And let me put that word up again and show you where that comes from. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Now, if we read that through the lens of our culture, I fear that we would think, yeah, see, they're kind of wishing that this was true and right. Because in our culture, the word hope has this idea of wishful thinking and always brings with it a measure of uncertainty. For example, if you cheer for any of the teams that I cheer for, you know what wishful thinking is. Are they going to be any good this year? I sure hope so, right? And it's, I don't know, and there's some uncertainty, and, and it's a desire, but we can't be, you know, fully sure. We'll see. But in the Bible, the word hope is very different. It is a life-shaping certainty about the future. And Paul is using this word to say, you can live in Jesus, in Christ, with a day-by-day life-shaping certainty because of what God has said is not only happening now, but coming in the future. And this is a real simple way um, to illustrate this. But imagine two guys are in a room doing a job. And there's a boss yelling at them, and the boss is a jerk. The conditions are bad, it's hot and sweaty, and the job is just not pleasant at all. And you go over to one of those people who's working in that room and you whisper in their ear, hey, at the end of the day, we're gonna give you $50. And you walk over to the other person and you whisper in their ear, hey, at the end of the day, we're gonna give you a million dollars. Don't you think that those two people are going to process the exact same circumstances in vastly different ways, right? The $50 person is going to go, who needs this? That guy's a jerk. This job is nothing. And these conditions are terrible. The guy who's got a million dollars is going to go, I can do this. This day's going to be okay. You know what? I'm going to keep on keeping on. And what Paul is telling us is that what God has revealed to us about what is certain in the future gives us that level of confidence regardless of our circumstances. And that we can live with a measure of hope in a broken world. Why? Because of a life-shaping certainty that is found with the God who has come to our rescue. And here's why this is really important, because what we believe determines how we behave. And so for the person who's thinking, you know, if we just take this and put it into the spiritual realm, if somebody's walking around saying, you know what, I think at the end of life, our life just ends and it goes out like a candle and that's all there is. And people who are holding on to something more than that are just afraid to really face, you know, the, the short existence that we have that's going to influence the way that we live. But somebody else who says, one day, Jesus is going to come back to this world and evil will be no more and justice is going to roll like a river and all the things that are wrong about me and this world of ours are going to be done away with and that day's coming. That person can live a certain way even here and now regardless of what those circumstances might be. So what we believe determines a lot about how we behave. And one can darken our journey. One can brighten our journey. But Paul's telling us you can live here and now with a hope in the future. And that's not wishful thinking. 
It is a certainty based on who God is and what he has done and will do for you. And where is that hope really anchored? And really it's in this third word. We're anticipating future glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit that is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. And we're going to work through this a little bit backward through these couple verses here. But when you talk about glory, Paul, what are you talking about? What is that glory? What is to come? Let me show you a couple things here. One, we are marked as God's own possession in a relationship with God by putting our trust in Jesus. We become God's possession. We belong to him. That when God looks at us, he sees us as one of his own, that we belong to him. And it even goes beyond that because you see the word inheritance um, that's listed there. The word inheritance is really, you know, our, our net wealth, right? Something that is going to be given to us. And what it talks about, there's a bit of a word play there. Paul is saying, in Jesus, you have an inheritance coming. Everything that belongs to God has now been made available to you. And in Jesus, you are God's inheritance. And when he looks at you in a relationship with him, it causes him to feel wealthy because you matter to him, because you are an object of value to God. And these things were written long before there was ever this whole idea of self-esteem, right? And how we think about ourselves and how we come to terms with who we are and maybe dealing with some of the difficult things that we have in our lives was this picture that when God sees you, he sees an object of value and you matter to him. Compare that with ideas that we have in in our world and I thought, you know, well, who could inform me about self-esteem and where we might find that today? So I turned to a likely source, women's magazines, about um, where some ideas might be. Here's some of the things I came across. There's nothing wrong on this list. You know, think of your talents, um, lose weight, set some reachable goals, spend more time doing what you enjoy, spend more time with people who appreciate you, pat yourself on the back. That's all good. But let me ask you this, how does that compare with this? That the God of the universe, who spoke everything into existence, looks at you and sees you as his inheritance. I don't know if you've been geeking out about some of these um, James Webb telescope pictures of the universe. I can't get enough of that and find it fascinating and beautiful and, and just so powerful. And the God who spoke all of that into existence with just a word looks at you in a relationship with him and says, that one's mine. They are my inheritance. They matter to me. So let me ask you this. In this coming week, when somebody disrespects you, you how do we process that? Somebody, you know, gossips about us. Somebody disrespects us in whatever way that might be. It's really easy for us to view ourselves more negatively or less positively than we would. 
And I hope and I pray in those moments we would remember this, that God's view of you never changes. And even in your worst week, God views you as his inheritance. You matter to him. You are an object of great value to God. And not only do we belong to him, but there's also more that's coming in the future. There's this pledge of an inheritance toward redemption. And Paul, what are you talking about here? Because just several verses before, you said we have been redeemed when Jesus died in our place and paid for all of our sins. So what, is you, what are you talking about toward redemption? Because now you're talking about the future. And that's exactly right. And as much as in the moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus that all our sins are gone and we're set free from the power that can dominate us, this is talking about another day that is coming in the future when everything that is wrong with you and the world will be gone. And there will only be life the way that it was originally intended to be. A people in relationship with God, unhindered in that relationship. On the last day, as we know it, there's going to be a glory that is going to descend into this world and just its sheer beauty is going to eliminate all the evil and all the ugliness and all the brokenness and it will be no more. That day is going to be the ultimate dawn, the ultimate spring that will never end, that will never change again. John Newton, who was a slave trader in his previous life, wrote the uh, hymn, Amazing Grace, said this, if you understand your future glory, it will make your best times believable and your worst times bearable because there's another day coming and we are moving toward redemption. We have been redeemed and there is a future redemption that is coming. And do you know what that means? A bucket list is optional. Do you know what a bucket list is? Right here are the things that I want to do before I leave this world. I want to go to that country. I want to experience this. That's great. But if you never make it to that country, can I just, you know, piggyback on Paul's thoughts here and, and say, you ain't seen nothing yet because there's a country coming that's far beyond your wildest imagination and it's going to be okay and you're going to be okay. If you go to visit some spectacular mansion, and you walk into the mud room and all the spectacular rooms are still waiting. The picture of what he's talking about here is in this life, we're in the mud room. The whole mansion is yet to come. We're on the title page of the real story, but the true story is yet to come. And we are moving toward that day and that time and that place. And you don't take pictures in the mudroom, right? You take pictures of all the spectacular things that are to come and they will be yours without hindrance for all of eternity. He talks about the seal of the promised Holy Spirit as being the pledge of our inheritance. What does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? Seal is an identifying mark of ownership and protection. And 2,000 years ago, if you were a king and you wanted to send a message to some of your people, you would write that down, you would seal it up, and then you put some wax and you had a, like a signet ring and you put your mark on there. 
And what Paul is telling us in this passage, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he identifies you as one of his own. How does he do that? What is his signature? It is God the Holy Spirit coming and taking up residence inside of you. And so God the Holy Spirit is with you. You are not on your own, not ever. And he goes on to say it's a pledge. Another way to say that is a guarantee. It is the first installment, the down payment, the deposit. There is more to come. We are not done being in process of becoming all that God is leading us to be. And one day he will complete the work that he began. But you know what that tells us here and now? If you've given up on the hope of any kind of change in your life, re-engage that. Don't you dare give up on change because God the Holy Spirit is with you and in you and for you and has the power to transform you in ways that we cannot do all on our own. And when God looks at us, he sees the down payment and one day everything will be given to those who are in him. You can change, not because of you. I can't change because of me because there's God the Holy Spirit with me. So how do we get and stay in Christ? And this is really looking at the whole section that we've been in the last couple weeks. God's love said yes to us by choosing us. It begins by saying that God chose us before the foundation of the world. When we say yes to him, his yes has already been there for a long, long time. Jesus' sacrifice redeemed us. He came to our rescue. He paid for our sins. He rose again from the dead to conquer sin and death. And now in this section, the Holy Spirit secures us. And we are safe there in that place. And the God who is one and three and three and one accomplishes the work from beginning to end. And we get to be in this. So let me ask you this question as we wind this down. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? That God was in you? That God was for you? What kind of week would we live next week? What kind of ways would we respond to people maybe who aren't so kind to us? How would we feel maybe when things didn't go right and maybe there was a failure in our job or in our families or our relationships? What would we do? I was sent a video this last week and I think it helps us to see people who get what we're talking about. These are three young ladies and their coach. They were part of the Women's College World Series, and they're at the University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner. And they are really good at what they do, and they are the champions once again. But what you're going to hear in this interview with an ESPN reporter is a lot of what we've been talking about today and in the past couple weeks of, yeah, I'm living life here and now, but there's something bigger and something more stable and secure and come what may it doesn't change that so check out this interview now you talked about keeping the joy of the game but i'm curious it's a long season right and you guys have had the target on your back the entire time the win streak being number one how do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that how do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in 
Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world, if we do lose, yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home. And I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And, yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home. And um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So. They get it, (laughs) right? They get it. Yeah, there's a life here, and it's good. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. But ultimately, there's something beyond that, and that never changes. So they get it. How about you and me? What would you do if you were confident that God was with you, that God was in you, that God was for you? What would it look like for a group of people to work that way? carry out their relationships that way, carry out life that way, knowing that, yeah, there's a lot that changes in this world, but there's something with God that never changes. I think that could make a huge difference, huge difference inside of ourselves and our hearts, a huge difference in our communities. They get it. May we get it and apply it to the real-life moments 
whatever they might look like for you and me. Would you pray together with me? So Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are. The God who decided in our favor a long time ago, you set your love, your affection on us. And born out of that love, Lord Jesus, you came and lived your life, laid it down on purpose as a sacrifice, took it up again by your power to conquer our worst enemy, sin and death. And you have given us, God, the Holy Spirit to journey with us day by day so that we have a power to be transformed, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. So God, thank you for life with you, life in Christ, in Jesus. And God, help us to know what that means to apply that to the real lives that we live to understand our identity in you and then live out of that, apply that. And God, may all of that just help us to experience more and more of who you are and, and all that you've intended for us. And thank you for loving us the way that you do. And we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.